Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Now I'm very, very thankful. I wanna, I wanna share a message today, uh, something that I, I, I've been stewing on for a little bit. I, I got to preach it uh, last week in Midland and I just feel like this, this message has kind of come. You've probably heard something very similar to what I'm gonna preach today uh, and that's totally fine with me. I'm just asking you for this. I'm asking you for engagement. I'm asking you to let your ears be open, your eyes be open, uh, that you would, you would just be open to receive something today, even if you've heard this before. Because I believe that every time that we get into the room, every time that we're in the midst of the presence of God and the word is open, that God, the spirit of revelation, can start speaking something that we've never heard before. Uh, this message has come just through having conversations with, with uh, people, both married and, and single. I believe that what I'm going to speak today, it pertains to every single person in the room on some level. Um, I, I'm, I'm really just at this place where I am, um, I'm not displeased with people that are the people in this situation. I'm displeased that marriages are falling apart. And so I want to speak something today uh, pertaining to intimacy. And so um, would you pray with me before I get too far ahead of myself? Father, we just ask that you would just continue just to do more. I pray that as we open your word that you would just heap revelation on us. I think that we are in the room. (laughs) not anybody else. And so I pray, Father, that we would not have a mentality of, ooh, I wish somebody was here. No, we're here. And so I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes to hear and to see you in the way that you've designed us and desire to speak to us. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of truth would be uh, released. I, I just I invite you, Holy Spirit, and I ask you to come in a powerful way that you would overtake every single one of us in this room, that you would help us to, to, to have a vision of you and have a vision of the life that you uh, desire for us to live. I give you my tongue and my mind. God, I, just, I, I truly desire that we would know you and that we would be known by you. I truly desire, Father, that, that we actually become everything that Jesus died for us to become that our relationships thrive and our relationships excel in every single area that you've designed them to. We bless you and we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Uh, If you're taking notes and you need a title, uh, the title of today's message is The Attack on Intimacy. The Attack on Intimacy. I want to define intimacy. Uh, Intimacy is defined as close familiarity or friendship. It's it's, it's used, uh, this one word is used to sum up intimacy and is closeness. Uh, it's not this idea of that's close enough. <laughs> you ever lived in relationships where you're like, okay, that's close enough. You are pressing into something that I don't want you to press in. That's close enough. Intimacy is not that. Intimacy is, it's a closeness. It's, it's literally, I break it down like this, intimacy. Intimacy. It's very interesting uh, if you follow Chris Valentin. Uh, I don't know how many of you do. Uh, he posted something on Tuesday of last week that was basically my message. And so I, I would give, um, I'll, I'll, I'll let him slide this one time of taking my message notes and converting it into a Facebook post. It's totally fine, Chris. Anytime you want to do it, just tag me the next time you do it. Uh, 
Now, I, I just believe that God is speaking on this idea of intimacy, and intimacy is literally this idea of into me you see, into me you get to see. It speaks of seeing and opening up the innermost parts of who we are, uh, the, the, the parts of us that we don't want anyone into, the, uh, the parts that uh, make up our mind, our will, and our emotions. That is our soul. Uh, it speaks of being exposed this word intimacy. It speaks of opening up and being vulnerable. Vulnerability is slightly different than transparency in that uh, I've heard it defined like this. Transparency is I will tell you anything that you want to know. Vulnerability says then I will let you, I'll let you teach me anything that you want to teach me about the things that I just let you know. A lot of us are transparent. A lot of us are not vulnerable. And that's okay. We're growing into a place of vulnerability. We've got to come into this place of being teachable. And this word um, intimacy, it speaks of vulnerability. It speaks of nakedness. It's, it's just this idea of being exposed, exposing hurts maybe, exposing fears in some way, maybe exposing pains or even exposing your dreams. I know that sometimes there are these moments where we, we have something so big from God that we're not sure if we can share it with people because we're not sure what people might say or think about our dream or what God is saying to us. Uh, it's just this idea of exposing something, exposing hurts, exposing pains. And I realize that the picture that I'm painting is also the picture of some of your worst nightmares. The idea of someone getting to see into all of the places that make you up, it's very, very alarming. In fact, I think a lot of times we start hearing those internal alarms go off when someone starts pressing in and wanting to find out the deep things about us. It's, it's these alarms like exit the conversation, danger, danger, exit the relationship, danger, run while you can, danger, danger. Over and over and over, we get in these places where instantly we want to recluse, we want to shrink back. Intimacy, I believe, is extremely vital to healthy relationships, especially the marriage relationship. And a lot of things that I'm going to say today, uh, they're going to speak to the marriage relationship. This is not necessarily a marriage message, but I, I, it kind of has that bent because um, I'm going to say a lot of things directly to spouses and, and married couples. But I believe that it's also for those that, that are single and want to be married someday. I'll say this before I read scripture. There should be nothing about you that is unavailable to your spouse. There should be nothing about you that's unavailable to your spouse. And if someone other than your spouse is your outlet to release the deep hidden things about you, you need to make a very, very coarse correction. You're in dangerous waters. Amen? We made it through the first part. Praise the Lord. Y'all go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, this is a scripture, a set of scriptures that everybody in the room has heard probably a lot, a lot of times. Um, but we're going to read this. Uh, we're going we're gonna to read some things about the first married couple, Adam and Eve. So we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God has indeed said, I'm sorry, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit, and she ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? We know this, this story and I want to introduce three things, uh, point out three things in this set of scriptures that immediately impacted intimacy. These things are this, shame, fear, and control. I believe that in this moment, there was a stronghold released on the earth that is the shame, fear, and control stronghold. Uh, In verse 10, Adam said this, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. That was the moment of fear, because I was naked. That was the moment of shame, and so I hid myself, and that was when they started controlling. So much of our lives are influenced by these three things, shame, fear, and control. Shame, we learned several weeks ago in Braden's message, Purpose, Conviction, and Shame, that shame, uh, conviction says that you did something wrong. Shame says that you are something wrong. Shame wants to identify you in some way, shape, or form. It wants to, um, it wants to call you something. It wants to label you something. It wants to define who you are. Shame comes in in a couple of different ways, but in this story, we see that uh, like Adam, uh, we're put in situations sometimes when people make decisions that are dysfunctional. Uh, Eve, her disobedient decisions spilled over into the life of Adam in the garden. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, you don't have this, but in verse 14 it says, Adam was not the one who was deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Uh, a lot of theologians believe that in the moment that she ate this fruit, Adam was not with her that she took that fruit to him, found him, and then gave it to her, uh, gave it to him. Eve's dysfunction, nonetheless, Eve's dysfunction, it caused pain in the life of Adam. She disobeyed something that God had said, she made a decision, and then that spilled over into the life of the person that she was connected to. Lots of times we're put in very, very similar situations where someone else violates our own innocence. We've all been in in moments like this, where something happened. See, sin ushered in shame in this moment in the garden. Sin ushered in shame. In Genesis 2.25, it says that they were both naked. This is before this. This is before the fall. It says that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So you have a moment where they were not ashamed, then you have sin, and now they are hiding because of their shame. Sin always introduces Shame, And I think a lot of times, because we live in situations as imperfect people, (laughs) with imperfect people, we find ourselves in these places where someone else's decision reflects negatively in our lives too. Their their decision violates our own innocence. It it, it plays itself out in situations like uh, maybe you've been put in situations where you have to trust someone. It's a father, it's a mother, it's a child-parent uh, relationship, or it's a cousin relationship, or it's a leader-follower uh, relationship. It's something like that. And you put yourself out there in a way, you give them a part of you, maybe it's mentally, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's physically, and they take that and they violate it. They do something that, they, they treat something that you gave them that was precious to you, they treat it wrong. All of a the sudden, there is a hurt because of this mistrust. The The natural tendency within us is to protect. 
we instantly, we instantly shrink back. We instantly start protecting. One of the ways in which I believe that we protect is we create inner vows on the inside of us. An inner vow says something like this, I will never trust someone with that again. I will never let someone speak to me that way again. I will never believe in people that way again. I should have listened to my dad when he told me I was the only one that I could ever trust. We start building inner vows. See, the thing about shame, though, is that shame is still trying to tell you something. It's still trying to tell you what you are. So the more the inner vow uh, is built, the stronger the inner vow gets, the more you actually start believing that you're protected, but it starts telling you that you are something wrong eventually. You should not trust again because the last time you trusted, you were mistreated, you're not lovable. And you start walking into relationships, into relationship after relationship, expecting rejection because shame told you you're a reject. Because shame told you you're not lovable. We build these inner vows, we build these little fortresses is what I call them, and the thing about these fortresses is they protect us. They offer protection. It says, you know what, if you'll build this inner vow, if you'll say, or if you'll do, if you'll do this, if you'll just protect that hurt, because that's what we want to do. No one, does, no one signs up for getting hurt, right? If I said, hey, who wants to get hurt? No one would sign up on that list. It would be the most unpopular thing ever, right? Because nobody likes to get hurt. So what we do is we build those little inner vows, and that inner vow says, I'll never let you hurt again. But what it also tells you, or what it doesn't tell you is this, I'll never let you learn anything else about that hurt. I'll never let you learn anything, and I'll, I promise I'll never let someone do that to you again. That's a very, very careful thing because uh, uh, you should be very careful about that because what happens in those moments is those emotions that we're trying to protect, they become bound emotions. And a bound emotion will turn into insecurity or turn into pride, or both. They kind of look the same. It says, I'm offering you protection, but I'm never going to let you learn anything else about that. You know all that there is to know about this hurt. Now, no one can speak into your life. No one can teach you. I'll tell someone. I'll tell someone about my hurt, but I'm not going to ever let them teach me. I'm not going to be vulnerable in the area of my hurt. Shame wants to talk you out of your position with Jesus, plain and simple. The thief comes to what? Exactly. He wants to rob you from your place, your heavenly place with God, and he wants to take you into a place of hopelessness. Shame, I believe, also is introduced when we just do things ourselves that are just dumb. You ever suffer from the spirit of stupid? <laughs> More of us operate in the spirit of stupid than probably any other spirit. <laughs> Y'all aren't laughing. It's fine. I offer more times in the spirit of stupid than most other spirits. It's in these moments when we do things that we know we're not supposed to do, like Eve. Hey, don't eat of that. You know what? I think I'm going to, actually. Hey, don't. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do that anyways. Or, hey, you shouldn't cheat on your wife. I know, but I'm going to do it anyways. Or you shouldn't lie. I know, but it's just easier. Or, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't steal. You, actually, you should, you should probably stay until it's 5 o'clock and not clock out or actually leave earlier and then clock out after you leave. Like, you should be an honorable person of integrity. Like, when we do things that are dumb and we suffer from the spirit of, of stupid, shame is projected on us in a lot of those ways, too. It starts telling us once again, we've done something that we shouldn't have done. When we live in hidden sin, when we cheat on a spouse, all of these things, if you listen close enough, they're telling you something. They're telling you that you're a liar. 
They're telling you that you're a pervert. You're telling, they're telling you that you are a mistake. They're wanting to label you something. I know, once again, I'm saying the th- same thing over and over and over. I just want you to understand where we're headed. Shame creates ungodly beliefs about you that God would never say about you. Shame says things about you that God would never say as a father. I've heard it said like this. Graham Cook says it. He says, never have a thought about yourself that you wouldn't have about your kids. Never say something over yourself that you wouldn't say over your kids because that's the way that God thinks and that's the way that God speaks about you. But shame wants to create something in you that God would never say so that when it comes to Jesus being Lord of your whole life, you come up into a place where he can't be Lord of everything because you are something wrong in that area. And you've got to do enough to get ready for Jesus to be Lord right there. Shame wants to always talk you into something. Fear is the second part of this equation. And and fear arrives in in, in, in a lot of different ways. But areas where we have shame are normally places where we have an unhealthy level of fear as well. Fear of someone finding out our sin. Fear of getting caught in our sin. Fear of someone not not a fear of someone seeing that maybe I don't have as it is figured out as my Instagram or my Facebook page says that I do. Fear is a very, very real thing. Fear of not knowing how someone will handle my dysfunction. You ever know those people that everything looks perfect, but they never invite someone into their house? I bet you they have something to hide because they're afraid. And I bet you they're ashamed of something. It's totally fine if that's, if that's you, because I believe that there's hope. When it comes to relationships, fear enters any time a new person or an old person touches one of those places that you're trying to protect. We've all been in these situations where everything is going great. Maybe you're in a dating relationship, or maybe you're in a relationship with your spouse, or, or, or maybe you're in a relationship with a boss, whatever that is. Everything is fine until that relationship or that person touches one of those areas that you were hurting. One of those areas that you made an inner vow in that said, I would never let someone touch that again. Everything's fine until they touch that. And then all of a sudden, fear sets in and we have to recluse, so we have to hide. Because we can't afford to let someone see or touch that area because the last time, it hurt too much. I see our souls as a pinball machine. Just to give you a picture of what this looks like. I believe that every single one of those hurt or, or places within us that we don't let someone in, it represents a bumper. It's protecting something. Enter the pinball, which is a relationship. Pinball gets shot into the, the game, which is our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. All of a sudden, that pinball, that relationship, it starts touching things that we don't want it to touch. It starts touching that hurt or that insecurity or that pride. It starts touching that place when we were violated or maybe when we were uh, inappropriately touched. It, it touches that place where we have a mistrust with a man or we have a mistrust with a woman. And all of a sudden, it's, it's shot from one place to another. And if you think about your soul, there's probably not a lot of real estate for a new relationship or an old relationship to actually have access. They only have access to the places that we give them access. When I dealt with uh, pornography addiction, I would get close enough to people. Just close enough. Because I was ashamed. I was, I was afraid that people would find out. And the last thing that I, I needed someone to think 
about me was the things that I was already thinking about me. I, I, I had such a deep insecurity. I, I, was, I was shown pornography by my dad when I was 12. And when your dad shows it to you, it's normal, right? Unsaved, don't go to church. Your father shows it to you. If your father puts his approval on it, it should be approved. That's the way that you think. So fast forward to 21, I get saved. And now there's a conviction. But shame's, been, but shame's telling me that I'm wrong and I don't understand conviction quite yet. And so I fall into this place of I'll never tell anyone that because I'm afraid of it. And then I told someone about it. I told, I told a pastor once and, and, and the way in which it was, was handled was uh, it just, it didn't, it didn't celebrate the idea that I was coming clean. And so what it taught me was you should have stayed in your place of hiding because you came out of hiding and you got hurt again. And so I kept it for years and years and years. And so what would happen is I would just get close enough in relationship and then I would shrink back. The moment that I thought somebody might speak to it or the moment that I thought somebody might say something or I might get put in a conversation and I wouldn't be able to get myself out of it, I would just shrink back before I ever got to those places because fear was running my life. Fear is interesting and fear always runs with shame. The last portion of this whole thing is control. And if you look at Genesis chapter three, verse nine and 10, it says this. It says, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. They controlled in the situation by hiding. How do you control? When your spouse takes a conversation to a place that you're uncomfortable with, and maybe you're hiding something, do you try to steer the conversation in a different direction? That's control. And I bet it's because of fear connected to some sort of shame. When your husband says, I know you don't like this, it's never good when it starts like that. You know what I mean? Like, just buckle up. If you start your, if you start your sentence with, hey, I know you don't want to do this. I know you don't agree with this, but we're going to do this anyways. If automatically it causes you to shut down or get angry, you're probably controlling because it's probably reminding you of something that was violated a long time ago. There's a mistrust somewhere. And maybe it's with him. Maybe the last time that he said, hey, I know you're not gonna like this, but we're gonna do this anyways, it was catastrophic failure on his part. And maybe now, because of the last time that that happened, you can't allow yourself to trust him again, so you, you shrink back, you go silent, you get angry. It is a form of control. Or maybe it's like this for those that aren't married. Maybe it's when like a pastor or a leader or a boss, they call you out on something. Hey, I've noticed something about you. I've noticed that uh, you, you do this often. And it's one of those places that no one has access to. Do, do you all of a sudden start looking for a new job or start looking for a new church? If you do, you're controlling. Yay. And it's most of the time because you're afraid. Most of the time, you control because you're afraid. Fear and control, I'm going to paint this really, really simple picture. It can look like this. Let's say we're all going to go to lunch together, somewhere really big, right? Uh, we're all going to go to lunch, and um, maybe your car is not very clean. <laughs> often. It's not clean often. 
Just keep looking straight ahead, then nobody will know it's you. <laughs> but you don't want anyone to know that. And there's a tiny bit of fear connected to that. And so the way that you control that is you say, you know what, I actually need gas. And it's almost $4 a gallon, so um, can we just take your car instead? This stronghold will cause you to start lying about things. But the true reality is you're ashamed that you don't take better care of something and you're afraid that if someone gets in it, they'll think the same thing about you that you're already thinking about yourself. So you control it by saying, can we just take yours? We fall into these categories all of the time or maybe it just looks like uh, very similar to what I did and you just, you just, you hide in your sin, and because you, had, because you have like a hidden sin or something like that you're very uncomfortable with, you just, you just get close enough to people. And then you come up with excuses of why you can't have a meeting with them. I'm super drawn and I've always been drawn to prophetic people. The thing I knew about prophetic people is they call your crap out. Well, I didn't want my crap called out. I wanted to stay in. And so dealing with a pornography issue and then being connect, being drawn and connected to a prophetic person, I would just let myself get close enough, but I was not about to get myself in a room with somebody because the only thing I could think was at some point that thing is going to get exposed and I can't afford to let that happen. We've all been in these situations and I believe that because of shame, fear, and control, there is a preferred idea of what intimacy really is. It's because we're afraid of being found out in some way, shape, or form. There's an all-out assault on intimacy. I believe this is why people cheat on their spouses. I believe that this is why at, at 20 years, you hear of those marriages that they're getting a divorce and they just are, they, they, the reason for it is they've grown apart. I would propose to you they never grew together because one of the two of them were so deathly afraid of the other one finding out the real things about them, they just kept them hidden. And the longer that they stayed hidden, the more they were never known. And then when crap really hits the fan, because you know how it does in marriage, right? Anybody ever had crap hit the fan? When crap hits the fan in your marriage, you really find out who you're walking with. And you find out who's going to run with you, and you find out who's not going to run with you. And most of the time, the places that they're not willing to run with you, they're, they're actually hiding something. And so I'm just, I'm, here's, the, here's the thing. I'm just being a messenger. It's time that we grow up. And it's time that we come out of our shell, and it's time that we come out of hiding. I see that uh, because I'm going to pick on the men for just a moment, men, we have to start practicing this. We have to. We can't afford not to. Young men, they're looking at us. If we don't teach them what vulnerability and transparency and teachability looks like, if we don't show them how to talk about the areas of shame, if we can't stand in a place and say, our situation, that's the first time I've ever said in front of a crowd that my dad showed me pornography at 12. First time ever. But if we don't do things like that and we don't teach our young ones what it's like to be open and what it's like to be not afraid and what it's like to not control, who's going to teach them? We have a lot of young men running around that think they have an idea of intimacy and actually they're just causing hurt in young women's lives because fathers aren't teaching them what it looks like. I would encourage you if you're a dad, sit down and have conversations with your child. Yeah, obviously not everything that you know 
is for them. Use discretion, use discernment, but start having honest conversations with your kids about your struggle. Because in your weakness, the Lord's strength is made perfect, right? And I believe that we can reverse this idea and we can reverse this attack on intimacy by just choosing to live a life of being open. I wanna show you one more thing and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna be quiet. Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The attack on intimacy was first between Adam and Eve before it ever was unleashed between them and God. And I believe that the enemy is working overtime in marriages. And he's working overtime in dating relationship. And he's working overtime in courting relationships because he knows that you're designed for connection. And if, if you don't connect fully, you'll never be as strong as you're supposed to be. Notice what happened. They were unashamed before. Then they sinned and then they were naked. The, the disruption in intimacy happened between Adam and Eve because they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. The moment that their eyes were open, what shame said is there's something so wrong about you, you should actually cover it up. You should be ashamed of it. See, here's, the, here's how this works. If the enemy can talk you into the fact that you're something wrong in your relationships with people that you can see, he knows that you'll enter relationship with a God that you can't see with the expectation that you are something wrong and you can never be right. And if he can convince you that you're never going to be right and God could never make you right, then you'll never be a threat to the enemy that you're designed to be. You'll never actually live life as Jesus died for you to live. I'll say this, you'll never know the influence that you'll have on the earth when you choose to keep intimacy alive by living vulnerable and being seen in your relationships. And you'll never know the influence that you'll have on the earth if you choose to stay hidden and afraid of people finding out. But either way, you're influencing. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.